It's a great honor and joy to be with you here this morning and these couple days, continuing to this evening and tomorrow night. I want to begin this morning by giving you a peek into where we're going at the end. So I want us to know where we want this to be headed. As we come to Scripture, as we look at some big concepts, and yet I want us to know where we're headed with this related to our own lives in some concrete ways. So at the end, I want to set up a little grid, okay, like quadrants. I don't know if any of you guys did genetics and Punnett squares or like a chart or a spreadsheet or whatever. And what we're going to have is four quadrants, four squares, and two of the columns are going to be direct and indirect engagement with God's word. And then columns on the side are going to be alone and together. So I want to make some suggestions or help stir some ideas about what it would be like to engage directly with God's word alone and together, and then indirectly with his word alone and together. That's where we're headed. And during the Sunday school hour this morning, we summarized God's means of grace for the Christian life as, as threefold. There's hearing his voice in his word, having his ear in prayer, and belonging to his body in the fellowship of the local church. And our focus in the message this morning is on the first and foremost means of God's grace in the Christian life, which is his word. Jonathan Edwards called it the chief of the means of God's grace, or the soul, S-O-U-L, the soul of the means of God's grace. Both prayer in the Christian life and fellowship in the local church are secondary, in a sense. We'll, we'll see that tonight and tomorrow night. First comes the Word. God speaks first. God takes the initiative. And then... Our prayers come in response to his word. So sometimes we're praying in a group, we'll talk about somebody dial up, dial up. Yeah, not really, not with Christian prayer. We don't dial up. God always takes the initiative. We pray in light of what we think we know of God. We pray in light of his revelation to us. And then church, the corporate reality of the Christian life, is also secondary in the sense that it's God's word that makes the church. The church doesn't make God's word. The church doesn't make scripture. God's word, God's initiative, God's action, God's speaking changes hearts and brings together this people called the church. And so we talk about the church as a creature of the word. The word creates the church. And the word creates prayer. And the focus of the message this morning is on God's word as that chief means of grace, that first and foremost means of grace. And to do that, I'd like to meditate on two central truths in the book of Hebrews. This is a major theme, a major related theme here in the book of Hebrews. We'll see two major truths there and then finish with some ideas on the kinds of habits we might cultivate in our lives to position ourselves to go on receiving and enjoying God's word. And through his word, to know and love his son. And for those 
here this morning who are unbelievers. Maybe know yourself to be so. And you're wondering, perhaps in some new way or an ongoing way, about this Christianity thing, what's going on on the inside. I think this message should give you a really important glimpse into Christianity at its heart. What we are, how we live, how we survive, how we thrive on a day-in, day-out basis. We claim that we have access to the words of God, the true living God who made us and made this world. That's the claim at the center of Christianity. And if you want to know, what does that look like day in and day out? What does that, what does that mean in someone's life if the God who made the world and you has revealed himself in human words? Hope we'll see some of that here this morning. So then two truths from God's word, from the book of Hebrews, from its first two verses. If you want to turn somewhere, you can turn to the beginning of the book of Hebrews. Number one, God has spoken. This is where we want to linger for a few minutes. God has spoken. Do you realize how massive, how important this seemingly simple basic truth is for the very nature of reality and our world and our own lives? God did not have to speak to humanity. He could have just created the world, embedded the principles of his justice in the world, and let us try to discover what we could about him through nature. But rather, he's chosen to reveal himself through human words. This is a wonder past knowing fully that God has spoken. Our Father, in all of his divine majesty, has stooped to speak to us in human words. The God who made everything, the God who made you, that changes everything about human life. Look at the first four verses of Hebrews. We'll read the first four. We'll focus here initially on verses one and two, and then we'll come back at the end for verses three and four, or the second part of verse two through verse four. Look here at Hebrews chapter one, verses one to four. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So in verse 1, the, in the past, God spoke. And in these last days, verse 2, God has spoken. This is the kind of God he is. He is a speaking God. He is a communicative God. We might say, 
He's a talkative God. That's the kind of God he is. And in verses 1 to 2, God's speaking is cast into these two eras. You've got the long ago era and in these last days. Two eras, a very basic thing to know about the communicative God. Past era, old era, then the later era, new era. Related to these two eras then, you have two sets of recipients. In the past, the recipients are our fathers, which refers immediately to Jew, for the Jews, to their biological ancestors. However, maybe some of you guys sing the song, Father Abraham has many sons, I am one of them, and so are you. For Christians, our spiritual heritage is Father Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. These are our fathers. He speaks to our fathers in the old era, then in the new era... To us. That's an amazing phrase in verse 2. To us. Hebrews doesn't say to them. He very easily could have spoken of the apostles and those in the first generation. God spoke to them. And passed it down to us. But he says to his readers, to us. He has spoken to us. And that includes us in the church age, in these last days, some 20 centuries later. And Hebrews then mentions two agents of his speaking. So two eras, two sets of recipients, two agents. In the past, the agents were the prophets. In these last days, he says, his son. And with the mention of the son, there then follows this cascade of sevenfold glory about the son. So make no mistake that the son is just the latest prophet. The son is on a different level than the prophets. And we'll come back to the sevenfold cascade of glory at the end. Finally, in the past era, God spoke at many times and in many ways. Literally, in many parts and many manners. Just think of all the different kind of genres in the Old Testament. You know, genealogies and stories and psalms and proverbs, the kind of wisdom literature, the prophetic utterances. Many times in many manners. The speaking God not only spoke once and not only spoke a few times, but many times, in many ways, through multiple prophets. The God who is, if we can say it this way, is a talker. He likes to talk. He likes to speak. First, he spoke to create the world. No mention in Genesis 1 of divine hands. But he speaks to create the world. And God said, and he called, and he said, and he called, and he said, and he called, and he said, and he said, and he said. The six days of creation right there. He speaks, and then for the first three days, he gives it a name. Earth, heavens, light. Day. And then he speaks to create in days four to six. And he amazingly leaves the naming to the creature he calls man. To name the stars. And name the plants. And name the animals. But the main point is not man's naming. 
The main point is God's speaking to create, which is celebrated in Psalm 19. I'll read verses 1 to 4 of Psalm 19. How the created world speaks. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So, God not only spoke to create the world, but He also speaks in the world that He's created. Get outside the city and see some stars, or get a glimpse of the sky, or see mountains, or just pause to enjoy the beautiful green grass out here. See God in the world He's made. Psalm 19 also talks about that. Verses 7 to 8. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Now this is about how God not only speaks in nature, but through his prophets, through human language. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So not only has he spoken, say, on an occasion or two, But he is a speaking God. He is prone to speak. He likes to talk. He is a talker in the holiest and highest of senses. And he speaks many times, in many parts, in many manners, in many ways, through many prophets. But, coming back to Hebrews 1, what is implied as the pair for many? We got, we got our sets here. We got the old age, two fathers, through prophets, and he says many times in many ways. And then we have in this new era, we have these last days to us in the sun. And what's implied about the frequency or the quality or the regularity of his speaking? What corresponds to many? The answer is one. One time. One way. One manner. God has spoken so fully and so richly and so decisively in one person that we might call him the Word. Capital W. This is how the Gospel of John opens, talking about the Word, personal, capital W. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then John goes on in John chapter 1, verse 14, to say, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For, now he's going to do two eras, like Hebrews does. For the law was received through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Fundamental orientation of two eras. Law from Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He 
has made him known. God has been made known through his word. Capital W. All right, so just consider here the, the different ways that we're using the word word. Right? It can get confusing if you don't pause and kind of parse them out and give them little labels and think about the different senses in which we're saying word. So first, we have been talking about God's word as a concept, that God speaks, that this is his nature. He's communicative and talkative. He spoke to create and through creation and through prophets. So the concept is before you, before you put it in a leather and bind it and print it, don't think yet of that word. Think first of the reality that God speaks, the concept of his word. Then, second, we think of his word spoken through prophets and written down and preserved. We call scripture. So we call this word as well. Third, we've talked about his word incarnate. That his divine son came. His word personal. This is the person of his son. Jesus is the word of God. It, it's as if, if you were to say, God, what, what's your one message to the world? What's your one message to humanity? What's your one word to the world? In a sense, he would say, Jesus. That's my one word. That's what all the words are pointing to is the word. My son, hear him, see him, consider him, believe him. And then we might also talk about another sense of word. So we had the concept of the word, the word written down, the word personal in Jesus, the word incarnate. And finally, we might also talk about the word preached or the word spoken. This is what Christians call the gospel, the good news. It's the word about Jesus. It's the story about him, what he did, what he accomplished. So we speak the gospel word to say who this Jesus word is. And that's the most common use of the word word in the New Testament. It's for the word of the gospel. That gives us, through the word about Jesus the word, we come in contact with Jesus by his spokesman and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, God has spoken... He's spoken through his prophets. He's spoken climactically in his son. He's spoken through the gospel, the word about his son. And God has seen to it that his words have been written down that we might have them in scripture. How often do you pause and consider how stunning it is that we have this book? This is a record of God's words through the prophets before the coming of His Son. And the inspired record of the life and sacrifice and triumph of Jesus in the Gospels. And this is the inspired story of the early church. And the God-breathed letters from His apostles to the church. Brothers and sisters, we actually have the words of God. God gave us a book. He has spoken. And think of all that has gone into the preparing and preserving of the book, the patience of God, 
in bringing this book, that we in the 21st century might have this book. For centuries, it was copied by hand and preserved with utmost diligence and care. And then for the last 500 years, we've had the printing press. And God's word has been able to go far and wide to all the nations like never before. And some men have given their lives to upset the apple cart of man-made religion so to translate God's word into the tongue of the people. And now, in this new digital age, we have access to God's word that has exploded exponentially on our devices. So many copies, so many ways to study Bible and study words and study theology and get at the book. And yet, yet, in such abundance, do we marvel at what we have? Or, to ask it this way, do we as individuals and as churches make the most of what infinite riches we have in such access to Scripture and the words of God Himself? So, it's wonder enough that God has spoken But as we continue in Hebrews, it gets even better. Not only did our God speak in the past through prophets, and not only did he speak to his son, but he continues to speak. That's the second point. Number one, God has spoken. Number two, God is speaking. And so we focus on verses 1 and 2. Now we're going to take a step back and see some larger themes that are repeated in the book of Hebrews. God's speech is a central emphasis in the book of Hebrews. Just listen to some of the These are just verbs. These are verbs of God speaking in Hebrews. He speaks. He says. He testifies. He proclaims. He calls. He promises. He vows. He warns. He reproves. He declares. Speaking God. And then we have these nouns. Again and again, Hebrews talks about God's word heard or spoken, his word written, his promise, his oath, his voice. One thing that's amazing to track in the book of Hebrews is who speaks to whom in Scripture. So Hebrews is doing this. He's using Old Testament Scriptures. He's grabbing them and he's bringing them as a living voice into the church age to speak to us. And there are different speakers to different recipients in the way God's voice is employed, the way Scripture is employed. So for one, the Father speaks to the Son in the words of Scripture in chapter 1. You look at chapter 1, go through that. The Father is speaking to the Son in the presence of the angels in heaven. And that's chapter 1. Chapter 2, we have a section halfway through chapter 2 where the Son speaks to the Father. And does so in the words of Scripture. That happens again in chapter 10. But then the Son also speaks to us. And the Spirit speaks to us. And the Father speaks to us. The Spirit speaks to us through the words of Psalm 95 in chapters 3 and 4. Then God speaks to us through the words of Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Speaks to us as His children in chapter 12. And then God speaks to us corporately and individually in the words of Joshua 1.5 in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews' burden again and again, and this, it's an arresting pattern, his burden is to show that Scripture is not just a collection of ancient texts 
But Scripture is the voice of the living God speaking right now. It's implicit throughout, but Hebrews makes it explicit in chapter 1, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 3, chapter 10, verses 15 to 17, chapter 12, verse 5. But then in particular, and I want to hit these three very quickly, chapter 3, verse 7, 4, 12, and 12, 25. I'll come back to those if you want to capture those references. The first is Hebrews 3, 7 to 8. Hebrews 3, verses 7 to 8. As the Holy Spirit says, it's quoting Psalm 95 now, as the Holy Spirit says in Psalm 95, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. All right. So Psalm 95 is not only what the Spirit said in the past, but what the Spirit continues to speak as we hear the words, as we read the words, as we come in contact with the words of Psalm 95. And then, added to this emphasis, is the word today, in the quote from Psalm 95. Today. That today, for the first hearers, was David's day. In the time of David, 3,000 years ago, King David, Psalm 95, spoke to the people in that day and said, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. But now, in the book of Hebrews, that today is for the hearers in Hebrews' day. And he just goes across a thousand years with no pause. Today, that applies. The Holy Spirit says it today a thousand years later. And 2,000 years later, the Spirit says it from Psalm 95. This is what it means that the Word of God is living and active. You know, you know one of the famous verses from Hebrews. Hebrews is famous for some of these great quotable verses. A lot of times we don't understand the original context of the verse. But the amazing thing is, is once you learn the context, a lot of times the way we were quoting it turned out to be accurate. But now you just understand it with more riches. So look at Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So, in the context of Hebrews 3 and 4, Psalm 95, as the Spirit's ongoing speech to believers in the past, as well as the present, is the immediate referent of Hebrews 4.12. So when he says the Word of God is living and active, he's talking about Psalm 95. He's talking about how Psalm 95 continues to speak. But, it's not as though Psalm 95 is unique in this. Like, well, Psalm 95 continues to speak, but Psalm 94, Psalm 97... This is applicable to all of God's speaking in Scripture. When He speaks in Scripture, He not only speaks in the moment and moves on, but He continues to speak to His people through His Word by His Spirit. Which, that might lead us to reflect on the relationship between God and His Word. The closeness 
between God and his word. If, if we immediately think of God's word as paper and ink, we're like, well, this is not, this is not God. This is paper and ink and leather. But if we think about the nature of word as something that you breathe out, like the word is in me, and as I breathe it out, as God breathes out the word, he breathes out himself. It reflects what's in him. He reveals what's in him by speaking it into the world. There's no separation between God himself and the word he breathes out. Now, humans... We very often err in our speech. We misspeak, and humans, especially in politics, try to distance themselves from their words. But God never misspeaks, and He never miscalculates the reception of His words, like we read in Isaiah 55. And God never changes. God never says, well, yeah, I said that a long time ago, but I don't really say that anymore. There is no disconnect between God and His words. To encounter the words of the living God is to encounter God Himself. Finally then, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 25 to 26. And this is the final warning in the book of Hebrews. It's significant. In this book that's famous for its warnings, that he would end with a warning that reads like this for our purposes. Hebrews 12, 25 to 26. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape in the old era, when they refused him who warned them from earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. So throughout this letter, Hebrews has spoken the written words of Scripture to the church as living words from God by the Spirit. And now, in this final warning, he speaks of God as him who warns from heaven and as the one who is speaking. Our God not only has warned, he warns. He is warning. He not only has spoken, he is speaking. And how does he do that? By the Spirit in his word. Word and Spirit going together. The Holy Spirit works by and with the word to speak in the present to the people of God. And if you think, well, maybe that's unique to Hebrews. Is that just a quirk of Hebrews? Let me quickly give you three examples from the Apostle Paul where he says that all of Scripture should be applied to and spoken to new covenant Christians in the very present moment as the speaking of God. Here's Romans 15, 4. Whatever was written in former days, old era, in the past to the fathers, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we, we after Jesus, we in the new covenant, in the church might have hope. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Not was breathed out, but is, is breathed out, is profitable, is not was. 
And finally, 1 Corinthians, 6, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 6 and 11. Talking about the wilderness generation under Moses. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. That helps me with the question. If you were to ask the question, say, you know, all well and good. Hebrews 12.25 says, God is speaking. I hear what you're saying. I hear the, hear the emphasis, hear the accent. You know what? Sometimes I open up my Bible, and it sure seems like he is speaking to me in the moment. Like, that, those are words for me. Other times I open up the Bible, and it's like, that's not words for me. It's like some old genealogy. Or trying to slog my way through Leviticus. We get to portions of Scripture and like scratch it. I don't even know what that means in the prophet Micah or Zechariah. And so we, we, we feel in that moment, like, I don't, how is God speaking to me in this moment? I'm helped by these texts from Paul where he says, these things took place as an example for us and they were written down for our instruction. The reason it was written, the reason that we have Scripture about the events and about God speaking is that he might speak to us in the church age. Now, that doesn't mean that if we plop in somewhere out of context, we can see the way in which he is speaking. We might have some work to do. We'll talk about that in just a minute. We might need to get some context, some study. But if you can back up and get the text of Scripture, even the ancient text in the Old Testament, and see what God is saying in them, you will see how he is speaking to us. And the reason that we have it as Scripture, that it didn't just happen in the past and then pass into the past, but that God saw it to be recorded and kept for us is because he is speaking to his church in it. All right, last point. Not only has he spoken, he is speaking. And so, number three, will you listen? And how? Unavoidably, a very personal and practical question confronts us in this moment. Having rehearsed how much God's spoken and that he still speaks, we have no excuse not to hear him. Do you listen? Do you hear him? And how do you hear him? In what ways do you hear him? How often do you hear him? So I'm going to end here with some encouragements about habits of grace. And in saying habits, plural, I mean, it's probably worth more than one way of accessing his word in our life. Plural, many. We need multiple habits in our lives for accessing God's ongoing speaking in the Bible, for saturating our lives in his grace. You want to think of an hourglass turned on the side, or it could be straight up. If you go back to Hebrews 1 in the beginning, the many prophets, many times in many ways, are speaking to the one son. I feel like many goes to one son. And if we want to think about the habits in our life, that in focusing on the one son, we would have many ways of accessing, many ways of coming to him, knowing him, enjoying him. Habits would be plural. So here's our matrix now as we finish. Our matrix on direct engagement with God's word alone, direct engagement together, indirect alone, 
indirect together. I'll briefly give some ideas in those four boxes. And this is for discussion over lunch, for consideration in your life. What kinds of habits might God lead you into to be accessing his word in many ways? And I'm going to, spend, I'm going to say more about that direct alone box. Right? If we can get some things going in the right direction in the direct alone box, it'll be just very brief on the other boxes. So here's some recommendations for direct, alone engagement with God's Word. His Word is worthy of your direct engagement. It, it can be easy to become a second-hander. I'm always getting it from some favorite podcast, or always getting it from somebody else, always reading some other person who's mediating God's Word to me. And it's great to have teachers who are helps. We'll get to that. But His Word is worthy of your direct engagement. And it is understandable in time. I think some form of daily engagement with God's word is fitting. Given the nature of our God is creator, our God is a talker, our God is one who's given us his book, his word is accessible to us, I think we would do well to think of daily forms of direct engagement with his word. And without saying you got to do first thing in the morning, if I could just briefly say, there's a lot of wisdom over the ages. As I've looked into these things, from, from 20 centuries of church history, there is something precious about the morning. After you have been asleep and dead to the world all night, to let the voice that sets the trajectory of your day not be your own voice, not be the voice of the news or a social media feed, not even be another voice precious to you in your own household or friend, but to be the voice of the living God himself in his word. There is power in beginning the day with the voice of God. When we come to his word in 2023, we are prone to move at a pace that is far too quick for the preciousness of his word. Our screens, our amount of information is conditioning us to read faster, process faster. The very nature of pixels and the nature of screens has us to move quickly. We do a lot of browsing. I would encourage you, when you come to God's Word, try to develop a different speed, a different pace than has been developed in your other reading habits of life. And it's still fine. It's, you know, hey, browse. If you're doing news, browse the news. But you know what? It's not terribly important. And it would be good to browse it and let it go through. And then the things that are most important, read them slow and let them really change you like God's Word. You might want to consider a paper Bible. This is not a law. This is not essential. But paper slows you down. There's studies about that, that paper gives precious milliseconds where we might process His Word more deeply and have it go more deeply in us. And as you come to his word, you might think of three different modes of engagement. Reading, study, and meditation. Reading is just the normal pace through a text. It's words. You move through the words, hopefully more slowly than you do reading a screen of news. Move slowly through the words at the pace of the text. Study then is trying to put pieces together. What does this mean? I'm not sure what that... I just read the statement. I'm not sure what it means. 
and study will hopefully help me understand better what that statement is, what's being claimed. Go to other texts, ask questions. What does that word mean? What does that word mean? So study is our way to kind of pause and understand more of what's being meant in what we're reading. And then, this is probably the most overlooked way of engaging with God's Word in our day. It's called meditation. Not Eastern meditation. This is not mantra and hum and trying to empty your mind. It's the opposite. Christian meditation is filling your mind with God's Word. But instead of, but in, but instead of having it run out the year, you linger over it. You pause over it. You try to chew it. The image in Scripture of meditation is like a cow chewing the cud, kind of tasting the flavor, taking your time. I've, I'm not a farmer. I've, I've observed cows a few times. They seem to be in no rush when they're doing this. They're just taking their time, unhurried, leisurely. They are not rushing. And I think that's what we need over God's Word, to meditate on His Word, to not only know its meaning through study, but feel its meaning through meditation. To ask the question, God, what do you mean me to feel because of this text? And then to linger in that text till you feel it. That's meditation. But one way I, I approach this in just personal time in the morning is, in my little phrase is, begin with Bible, move to meditation, polish with prayer. Begin with Bible. I want to hear from God first. Maybe I'll ask a, a brief question prayer. God, please help the reading of your word this morning. Uh, draw near. Help me by your spirit. I want to know you. A, very, a brief prayer, and then I begin to read. Read his word. And from reading, I want to pause over something in my reading. Pick out something to linger over, to meditate on, to try to feel the significance of his word in that moment. That's meditation. And then from there, have that lead into prayer. Instead of reading passages and then doing a hard pivot to pray lists, in this relationship with God, I want to hear what he's saying, linger over what he's saying in meditation, and then speak back to him in prayer in light of what he said. If God's speaking to you, you don't want to say, just change the subject as a pattern. But rather, I hear you, God. Thank you. I'm, I'm hearing you. And now I want to pray for my day, my wife, my kids, my family, my work, others, the nations, in light of what you're revealing about yourself. So to sum it up here under this first quadrant, we spend the most time there. The others will be fast. Treat God's word differently than all other words. When you access it, the priority you give it, the way you hear it, the different ways in to try to hear it. Make his word the standard by which you judge all other words. And you might also consider hearing. Not just reading. It's a really good thing with these smartphones. They will, they will read you things. You can get a Bible app for free and have the Bible read to you through the smartphone. One of the best uses of the smartphone in the world is to have it read you the Bible. So that is uh, the, the quadrant of direct engagement with God's Word alone. Now briefly, indirect engagement alone. By indirect, I mean... There's helpers in there. Somebody's helping you get God's Word. So this might be Christian books. You can come in closer contact and better understand God Himself and His Word through faithful, helpful teachers or substantive articles or devotionals that you can find online or print devotionals. Also, engage the audio. 
Audiobooks are an amazing offering of Christian books you could listen to while you're driving or running errands or doing chores. Sermons that you could access through these devices would be another way of indirect engagement alone or other monologues or faithful podcasts. Now, with sermons, we kind of have a crossover reality because sermons aren't only something you can access on your device. Sermons are also a part of the direct engagement together with God's Word. So now we're into the third category. And this is preaching in the context of corporate worship. God means for the preaching of His Word not only to be a helpful teacher who's providing commentary and application, but also, so far as the preaching is faithful to God's Word, it is a kind of re-revealing of God's Word. God means to speak in a kind of direct way to His people in the gathered assembly of corporate worship through faithful preaching of His Word. And so I'd put preaching and corporate worship as direct engagement together. That's the hearing of the Word in worship. Family devotions. This may be a, a way to together directly engage God's Word, to read Scripture to each other. And to our children. And Bible studies. I was talking to a guy last weekend. His life had been revolutionized by a Bible study. And think of the principle. They came together in a group. I don't know how many there were. Four, six, eight. And they opened God's word. And they asked God to change them through his word. And then they read the word. And instead of saying, well, how does that make you feel? Let's everybody share how they feel. No, no. Read the word. What is God saying? What does the Word say? There's plenty of time to talk. We're going to do application. We'll talk application. But what does the Word say? Let's hear from God together in His Word. And then the last category here, indirect engagement together. And this leads to fellowship tonight. This is is largely a way of talking about fellowship in the Christian life as a means of God's grace. Indirect engagement together. Christian conversation, interaction, seeking and giving counsel to each other, speaking the truth into each other's lives. We want to have people in our lives who, knowing us, will try to speak imperfectly, sure. Speak on God's behalf words of encouragement or gentle correction or provocative correction, if we need it, into our lives as a means of God's grace. Finally then, contemplate and enjoy the person of Jesus through Scripture. I don't want that to be missed as we talk about creating habits. He is God's Word embodied. He is the Word personalized. He is the Word made flesh. The divine words of Scripture lead to an encounter with God Himself in Jesus. And so, I want to close by just celebrating the sevenfold greatness of Jesus in those verses in Hebrews 1. I won't give you an explanation now. Let me just speak them over you as a declaration of His glory. Sevenfold declaration of His glory as we come to a close here. So long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. 
He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The God of all grace has spoken, and he is speaking. And what one word, if it were only one word, what one word is he saying? Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, find your many times, your many ways, your many life-giving habits for knowing and enjoying and getting this one word into your soul. So, Father in heaven, thank you that you are the kind of God who likes to reveal himself. Oh, you keep many things hidden, many glories hidden that you reveal later, but you speak, you reveal, and you have revealed yourself climactically in your son. Thank you for Jesus. Father, we want to be men and women who have saturated our lives in your word. We want to know you're speaking, not through our guesses, not through our speculations, not through our pretense. We want to know you're speaking by your spirit in your word. And so make it practical for us, Father, in our lives, in conversations over lunch or this afternoon. Show us how we might make the most of this unbelievable gift to have your words. And bless us as we think tonight tomorrow about the implications for prayer and fellowship in the Christian life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.